Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Mejita Talks. I'm your host, Sherry Altergott, the Chief Experience Officer at the CX Edge. I am very excited to introduce our guest today on one of our favorite topics here, automation. I have AJ Meyer. He's the CEO of Pickle Robots. Welcome, AJ. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for being a part of this. Now, I've read a little bit of the story of Pickle Robots, and I think it's really an interesting story that's different maybe than other people in this space. So I was wondering if you could take a few minutes and just kind of tell us a little bit more about Pickle Robots. Sure. So Pickle Robot is a almost four-year-old now startup company out of the MIT robotics community here in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And uh, we actually spun off of my first company called Leaf Labs, which was founded in 2009 with a bunch of friends of mine from MIT. And that company is, a, is an engineering services business with a specialty in AI and robotics and hardware software projects. And we do science projects for fan companies. And so I think one of the advantages that we had early on is that no one had just finished their PhD. So like nobody has a particular algorithm uh, that they're trying to sell and find a market for. We had the opportunity to really spend a lot of time looking around and saying, what's a problem that's really important uh, that hasn't been solved yet and that you probably couldn't have solved it in 2015 and it's inevitable that it will be solved by 2025. And we spent at least six months uh, looking for that kind of problem before we discovered a loading dock in an e-com warehouse or in an import warehouse was the ideal spot uh, to try and bring something to market. And uh, I, I will not forget the first time I visited uh, a parcel processing plant, a very manual, old, conventional building, and it had 15 people working full-time on the loading dock doing a, an unload task, just taking freight from inside the trailer, putting it on a belt, a thousand pieces an hour. And not a single one of those 15 people, and I spoke to everyone, had been there more than 90 days. So the turnover is just insane. Uh, and it's easy to see why. Like, there's no HVAC in those trailers. Uh, it's extremely physically demanding. Uh, it's sometimes in twilight shifts in the middle of the night. Um, and so we kind of saw that and said, you know, I think the time is right to solve this one. And uh, that's how we started. And, and I couldn't agree more. And I think a lot of people that I've talked to in this space would also agree with you. But they came from a background of growing up in material handling selling different types of material handling equipment and realizing how big of a problem this is. Mm -hmm. So I'm interested in how you kind of got started and in figuring out that this is one of the primary problems that you could help solve in supply chain. Yeah. So, you know, my background was in, in robotics. And when I was a student, um, I really wanted to devote my career to this area. Uh, and the problem in 2009 was that robots could get wherever you wanted them to go. You know, they could fly around as drones, they could walk up and down stairs, whatever. But once they got there, there was really nothing that you could do with them other than take a picture. Uh, we went to a robotics conference circa 2009 and like half the people there were in the business of finding marijuana plants uh, in fields by flying drones over them with machine vision. And my, my business partner like, nudge me in the ribs. He said, I, I think we're in the wrong place, bro. <laughs> so we, we had to we had to table it. Uh, and we we just kind of sat and waited for getting the timing right for when the technology was right for to actually do something with with a robot besides surveillance. And uh, and 
then there started to be circa 2015, 2016, 2017, this like rash of startup companies, probably one of the most famous is right-hand robotics, but there's many others that were starting to show that if you take the algorithms being perfected in the self-driving car community and apply them to material handling, uh, you could really solve some really important problems. Uh, so right-hand robotics works on each picking, as I'm sure most of your viewers know. Um, and so that really put our radar up to go find the right thing. And we spent a lot of time visiting different market segments in logistics. So parcel processing, uh, both the big, the big guys like their UPS and the FedExes of the world, but also regional carriers. Uh, we looked at 3PLs. Uh, we looked at, at logistics in and around uh, import-export, anything associated with ports. Um, and, and that was just a really useful exercise because it let us rather than take a technology and try and, and figure out where to deploy it in the market we were able to look at the market and try and tailor like the specific spot where where we were near to a solution and uh and i think that's a theme that we've carried with us the whole time which is rather than try and do the hardest thing you can do in the lab and show it off let's go find the easiest thing that we can do in real life in production uh yeah. and actually the very first robots that we deployed to customers in the field were small package sortation robots. And they were quite simple. They, they stand in front of a conveyor belt uh, and they pick up small parcels, poly bags and boxes off the belt. They scan the label and then they sort it to five or six destinations on the ground. So maybe there's a cardboard Gaylord or maybe there's a USPS metal cage, right? You just pick them up, you rotate a little bit and you drop them where they need to go. Uh, and that was how we got started. I love that story. And we were just talking about Modex. I know you guys had a booth at Modex this year. And um, there's a lot of robotics and automation technology that shows really well at a trade show. You know, and you put it in a booth and it does what it's supposed to do. It's incredibly impressive. But when you try to take that sort of trade show application and apply it within a, a real environment, sometimes it doesn't translate as well. So I love that I you, you kind of started. <laughs> I love that you started with, you know, what makes sense, start with what's easy and then work your way to what's hard instead of the opposite, which I think a lot of companies in the space have done and it hasn't been quite as successful. So that's a really good story. Um, just coming back from, from Odex, I know it's been a few months ago, although it seems like it could have been yesterday. Oh, kind of seeing the technologies that you saw there and given the space that you're in, what are some of the biggest automation trends that you're seeing within supply chain environment? I mean, the first trend is just how quickly robotics is starting to proliferate in this space. Uh, and, you know, we were just talking before the, the recording started about how Modex used to be a forklift and conveyor belt conference. Uh, but now it's, it's just loads and loads of robotics. In fact, I think it's it's basically the 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 frontier of the of the robotic space where most of the VC dollars are landing, most of the really interesting new products are being launched. Like the bleeding edge of robotics is, is definitely logistics. Um, and the reason for that is that it's it's a it's a more structured environment than outside. Uh, you know, if you're trying to do agriculture or construction or self-driving, but it's a lot less structured than uh, manufacturing, where you don't have to run the same cycle over and over again. So it's kind of this perfect balance. That, that, that meets technology where it is today uh, in terms of the quality of, uh, of autonomous systems. Um, what's interesting, you know, Kiva Systems, when did that company start? Like uh, 2002, 2003, something like that. Yeah. Now it's called Amazon Robotics. Uh, so they were you know, really pioneers in, in using AGVs to, to build a goods to person system. And what's amazing now is just like how, um, 
I don't want to use the word commodified, <laughs> but just how available that technology is. Uh, and, and seeing the transition also from AGVs, which, which can run very fixed tracks, and sometimes you have to add a lot of infrastructure to your building in order for those robots to be able to navigate, switching over to AMRs. So now you're seeing uh, you know, the same goods to person uh, tech, uh, but built out of a much more flexible platform with much higher flexibility, uh, lower costs to deploy, because the robots are smart enough to be able to navigate and map the spaces on their own uh, without all this extra infrastructure. And there's an awful lot of vendors that really started to master uh, you know, mobile robots working in the warehouse, moving things around, whether that's cases or pallets or eaches. Uh, also, ASRS systems are really starting to penetrate. Uh, and so every time you add a piece of automation, whether it's an AMR system or an ASRS or something like that, you've created this little island uh, and it immediately begs, well, what else can we hook this island up to? You know, and so these are like little seeds that we've planted throughout the, the DC um, that where automation will spread out from them. Uh, and I think the the way that you used to connect up the different parts of your warehouse was conveyance, extremely expensive, or your payback periods are like more than five years and very inflexible. Uh, but now you have you have AMRs to connect these islands of automation. So that's really exciting. Um, I think the other big trend is just that pretty much everybody uh, who, who is in, in the operating space here um, is, is buying. And, and we have a lot of customers that approach us that don't even know what they want to buy. They're just like, I know I need some kind of automation. I'm looking to dip my toe in. Uh, I don't, I don't, I'm not like looking through a catalog and saying I want this or that. I just sell me something because uh, we know we need to do something and we're not quite sure what it is. And our response to that is to try and design products that are very narrowly scoped with a very small integration surface area that can be like my first robot uh, for the warehouse. Yeah. No, I think that that's great. And, um, you know, we were talking a little bit about automation and kind of finding that right balance of people versus automation and given your application, how much makes sense, how much doesn't make sense, because there isn't a place where you're over automating that it's no longer mm -hmm. efficient. Um, and I think a lot of companies in this space are struggling with that. I read a study recently that only 20% of US retail sales were done via e-commerce, which still blows my mind considering my whole life is done from ordering online. Um, do you think COVID, impacted people in the supply chain really looking for more automation technology? Oh, 100%. I, and I think probably not in the ways that people used to ask me in 2020 when COVID was first ramping on, where the concern was about trying to create more social distance between people working in the warehouse. Um, I think the two big ways in which COVID has had a tremendous impact is number one, it just really escalated the growth of e-commerce taking over from retail. And so, you know, that growth was already gonna happen no matter what, but we basically took three or four years of growth and crammed it into a year and a half. Uh, and that put a lot of stress on the entire network in terms of how many, uh, you know, pieces per hour or whatever the, 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 the appropriate figure of merit is for, for your operation. Like the demand is higher than the supply to be able to sort packages or fill orders uh, or, or inventory things in, in your regional DCs. The other, main way in which uh, COVID has impacted is it's created this labor crunch that everybody talks about. And so, you know, I could definitely detect a change from customers asking about how to use automation to reduce costs a little bit, improve their efficiency, 
kind of an incremental tweak to their to their opex to instead now what they said is my entire building is operating below capacity because i can't staff it and so if we don't automate some of these roles i have a, a building that's running at 80 percent um that's a real big problem so if you can uh uh you know deploy automation in really tactical spots in your building you can free up some bottlenecks and and bring a building up to where its capacity was designed for yeah, I think that's such a great point. It's such a true shift of what's happened. I did a lot of work in the labor management field, and I totally agree with you that at first it was all about just how can I reduce my labor force, reduce costs. Now companies are willing to pay way above the market price just to get employees in the door because they can't find people. So it's you know it's a similar application, but now a different driver that's really uh, moving people towards automation. Um, you about about I just want to like double click on that a second. So, it, you know, technology is interesting if it helps drive down costs, but it's really powerful when it drives up revenue. And and that's really what we're we're talking about when a building is not operating at uh, at its peak level because you're bottlenecked by access to labor. And to your point about uh, wages going way up in this space, I think that's a pattern that's going to continue well, well beyond COVID uh, as, as we continue to combine automation. So. You know, I talk a lot in, in different contexts about these two different ways in which you can deploy technology to, to change a particular task in the workhouse, in the, in, in the, in the warehouse. One of them is de-skilling. So like a good example would be that I used to pay somebody $28 an hour because they had to memorize a sort table so that this zip code goes into this put wall number J4, and they need to do that very reliably. Otherwise, there's going to be missed sorts and, and the defect costs are going to be high. So we'll put in a put to light system and we're going to take the skill completely out of that job, turn your brain off, just look for the lights and, and do it. Uh, you're going to pay that person less, right? Um, and that will give you kind of a sublinear improvement to your OPEX because you can only pay them so much less and you can only make the job so much easier. Eventually it starts to taper off uh, and, and you have nowhere else to go from there. Not to mention you've created a, a less engaging job uh, for people to do that, that pays less. Um, on the flip side, you can start to deploy this new types of automation like AMRs and uh, mobile manipulators and different types of robots where people suddenly become more productive because one person supervising three robots might be able to unload 3,000 packages an hour from a trailer instead of the 1,000 they were doing before. Um, they're going to get paid more to do that job. So you actually have this more of an exponential game where people's wages go up by 20%, but their productivity goes up by 80%, right? And you can yeah. do that, I think, forever. Uh, and I'm really excited over the next 20, 30 years as my career you know, starts to reach maturity uh, to see how that plays out, because I think it's gonna be really exciting. It really is. You know, Sometimes you wonder how much farther can we take it? And I think the reality is we can take it so much farther and it's things that just haven't been realized yet. Um, I want to go back to the beginning when we we're, were talking about Pickle Robots and how you kind of founded where you were going to play in the automation space. Um, you had talked about going to supply chain facilities and seeing how the people are working and the high turnover. Could you go in a little bit deeper of some of the biggest challenges that you've seen when people are sorting outbound packages at a facility? Yeah, so I mean, one of the, the interesting things about sort is that the cost of defects is so high. So if I put a package you know, in the, in the wrong destination, uh, number one, 
I probably just slipped an SLA to a downstream customer, right? They were expecting a two-day delivery and now it's gonna be five days because it went all the way to the wrong city. Um, right. So that's pretty bad. Uh, and then even worse, you have to reship it. So maybe now it's five or $6 cost of a defect for a single miss sort. Um, not all the warehouse tasks have that property, but sortation definitely does. And I have, um, I have done some manual sorting and you know, particularly when the early robots were going in and they were having trouble, I would, I would step in for them. And it was so hard to do, <laughs> like, I, you're picking up every package, you know, and they're going by at like 800 an hour and you're looking at it and you're saying, okay, this is a FedEx ground package. Put it in the FedEx bin. There's only four bins in front of you. Don't screw it up. And you, you just watch yourself putting it into the UPS uh, bin. <laughs> like, okay, well, we need to go back and fish that one out. Uh, so these jobs are not easy and there's, there's really no such thing as, as unskilled labor. If I've learned anything in warehouses, I, I have learned that. Um, you know, rates are very important, but only to a point. Uh, so if, if a current process like a sortation work sale is not a bottleneck in your building, making it go faster doesn't necessarily help, uh, but sometimes it is. Uh, I think also in sortation, you're seeing a lot of uh, experimentation with the packaging. So uh, people are very interested in renewable packaging. Uh, we're close partners with a, a company called Rampack, which is a leader in the sustainable packaging space. And they're incredibly innovative in coming up with different ways to, to put something in a box-like thing, uh, different kinds of cool packaging and stuff with, with renewable insulation materials. And those things can be hard to pick up. You, you, you just spent this huge NRE cost to develop a robot that knows how to pick up all these different types of items. And then your customer calls you and says, I have a new type of item. And like, oh boy, what did that just do to my, my NREs? And, uh, and that's not just on the packaging side, but also on the, on the label sortation side. So you know, people are using more regional carriers. Uh, there's a proliferation of carriers. And so we get calls all the time from customers saying, I need you to support this new label. And since it's all vision-based, um, you know, that, that causes a bit of a fire drill around here to say, oh boy, like, how are we going to learn how to parse uh, this label and understand that, uh, you know, OnTrack is different from, uh, from LaserShip, is different from FedEx today. <laughs> Yeah, I, and I agree. Love, excuse me. I love that you said that there's no such thing as unskilled labor, because I agree. All of those jobs take some thinking, some doing, and little mistakes can add up to big dollars. Um, and that's scary for companies, especially that are in a position that have to hire people that a lot of times aren't trained, are new to the space, haven't done the job before, have to invest all of that training and making sure they're doing it right. There's a lot of risk. A lot of risk there. And I'd have Can to I imagine there's some sortation. Just uh, that the, the, uh, we don't we're not bringing anything to market in this space today, but I'm excited about it, which is that there are there's a big gap in sortation processes around the fully automated like Amazon sort center use case. You've got a straight line sorter or a tilt tray or whatever, and it runs at uh, 35,000 packages an hour, something huge, costs tens of millions of dollars. And then on the other side, you have just like fully manual sortation where it's a thousand pieces an hour, or 800 pieces an hour manual. Um, and there's a huge gap between them. And I think where there's a great market opportunity and what I see a lot of customers starting to need is what if we could sort 2000 or 4000 an hour in a very small footprint that would retrofit into our existing operation. Um, that, that's a very exciting space because there's a lot of very old buildings. Uh, where people would love to deploy automation, but it just it requires more volume than than their manual uh, processes today. 
but they cannot digest a uh, 35,000 an hour straight line sorter. Uh, and that gap, I think you're gonna see a lot of interesting new products, particularly built around uh, some of the AMR and ASRS technologies, um, making very kind of this mid-sized sortation. And the other really interesting thing happening in sortation is, is parcel induct. So being able to pick up a package with a robot arm and feed it to some kind of automated sortation equipment or feed it to an ASRS, uh, that's becoming not quite commodified, but there's at least 10 vendors that are good at this. And if you're, a, if you're an integrator listening, um, I think even just two years ago, the only people that could credibly offer pick from pile was a, a soup to nuts end-to-end -end solutions provider like Pickle. But now, I mean, at, at Modex, there was various groups that were offering uh, integrate yourself uh, parcel induct, which is really, really cool. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a great segue. We kind of, you talked about the Amazons and Walmarts of the world that have these huge facilities and can afford to make these huge capital investments to mm. these smaller companies that might have zero automation, maybe looking to dip their toe in, but don't really understand the ROI, don't really understand what exactly automation they should implement. So how do you look at an organization and start to make those decisions where automation makes sense for them and maybe at what level automation makes sense for them? Yeah, wow, that's a very hard and interesting question. <laughs> I think that the trend is that automation is becoming more accessible to everybody. And the big guys are doing bigger and even crazier things. But for the first time now, uh, the mid-market companies that have fully manual processes and, and never been able to afford like a fully automated bastion building or something, um, they're able to now buy robots for the first time. You know, and the and the pioneers of this space are companies like Six River Systems, who said, let's take that Kiva concept, but let's make it accessible uh, to a mid-market company where they can retrofit a very flexible, very easy to deploy and scale robot uh, into their operation. Six River works on in, in you know aisle picking. Uh, with their chuck product but you're going to see that now in manipulation um where you might credibly be able to buy and deploy a single robot and in fact pickle has done uh, a number of single robot deployments just one robot arm sitting on the end of a belt uh it's about thirty thousand dollars to deploy that uh thirty five hundred dollars a month to, to lease it and have us maintain it um so that's very cool uh if i were one of those buildings you know what i would be thinking about number one like where are the bottlenecks in my building? <laughs> you know, is there, cause you wanna be, if you're gonna take some risk and you know, the risks not, aren't necessarily huge, but there are tens of thousands of dollars worth of risk plus, plus all of the, uh, I don't wanna say red tape, but you know, the, the standup cost, you know, you have to talk to vendors and you know, have somebody in your building and deal with a, a bit of contracts and, 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 and your, your operation is a little bit disrupted to, to try and buy a robot still today. Um, so that's your risk. You want the highest reward that you can get. And so be thoughtful about where you really uh, need to deploy something. Um, the second thing that I would look for is if, if you're thinking about putting in a lot of conveyance and you're gonna jump from like no automation to a, a huge amount of conveyor belts, like you should probably stop. <laughs> uh, uh, if you're Amazon, that, that makes a lot of sense. You, you have huge CapEx budgets. Um, but if you're a mid-market company, um, there are now technologies built around AMRs and, and manipulators that can be put together in really flexible packages with very small footprints. Uh, and, and I think you're gonna be sorry if you're trying to make seven and eight year payback investments, um, is just my view. That's awesome, thank you so much for sharing that with us. AJ, you have actually made it to our lightning round of oh. Mejita Talks, 
not sure if you're familiar with our lightning round, but I have 10 questions. We like to get to know um, our guests a little bit better. So they're designed to get to know you a little bit better. I tried to make them as appropriate and easy as possible. Um, are you ready to enter into the lightning round? I'm a little nervous. <laughs> okay, you should be a little bit nervous, but I promise we'll go easy on you. We go easy on first time guests. Um, what is the most visited page on your browser? On my browser, it's definitely uh, reddit.com slash r machine learning. <laughs> um, how often do you swear at work? A lot. <laughs> <laughs> what is your go-to karaoke song? Uh, I just did this uh, last weekend at a party. Uh, Alanis Morissette's Hand in My Pocket. Oh, that's an interesting one. There's some tough vocals on that one. Um, <laughs> what do you think is the most useful subject in school? Math. Do you own your own Netflix account or do you borrow it from somebody else? Oh, <laughs> all right. So I will cop to borrowing uh, Disney, but I had my own Netflix account for, for many years and we, we just we just jettisoned it with the rest of America like uh, last month. <laughs> Okay. Um, what did you last purchase as an impulse buy? Uh, so at Pickle, uh, our kind of employee of, of the week uh, award, you, you get a, a plant uh, and we've got lots of plants around the office and you, you get $400 uh, of a toy budget uh, that you can spend on whatever you want for, for the office. So I spent my toy budget on a couple of Sonos Move speakers, which are really great. Yeah, very. I'll have to look at those. Um, do you believe in the paranormal? Uh, I used to as a teenager, and I, I feel like it's all asymptoted out to zero as I have gotten older. <laughs> as the adult cynical side sets in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which app do you use most on your phone? Email, unfortunately. Have you ever been scuba diving? Oh, many times. Uh, and I actually, I, I grew up in South Florida, which has great diving. Uh, and I always wanted to get rebreather certified, but I, I, I stopped right before getting that far. Would you rather give up air conditioning and heating for the rest of your life or give up the internet for the rest of your life? <laughs> um, I think I would give up the internet before I, I gave up HVAC, just because uh, one of those things can save your life. <laughs> this is true. Um, well, you made it successfully through our <laughs> lightning round, AJ. Thank you for those answers. Um, is there any parting words you want to leave our listeners with about Pickle Robots? Where can we find you guys? Well, you can find us at, at picklerobot.com, and we've got some cool things on YouTube. Uh, we, we just hired a new VP of marketing, so I'm excited to see all, all, all the new content kind of get upgraded through the summer. Uh, we're just now starting to ship our first beta unload robots. So if you have loose loaded cargo coming in, uh, particularly ocean freight, please do give us a call, uh, particularly if you're in SoCal, where we're doing a lot of our first projects. Um, and uh, yeah, I, there was a question you didn't get to that I just wanted to say a small thing about, which is where are we going to be in 10 years? I, I think I'm going to make this bet now. Uh, in 10 years, when I order something online, uh, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes it will be able to get its entire journey from the port where it arrived uh, all the way to my house with nobody touching it. 10 years. 
I would be very excited to see that. I look forward <laughs> to it. I look forward to seeing that for sure. Um, my daughter just, we, she wanted some very specific kind of handmade gidget. And I was only available through Etsy. And she was expecting it to come the next day because we usually order stuff from Amazon. Well, right. this is like coming from England. It's like somebody's house, you know, they're making it. I'm like, it's going to be, it's not going to be here for like two, three weeks. And she, I mean, mind blown. She's like, how is that even possible that it could take a week or two to get this thing? <laughs> because she's grown up in a world of immediate gratification. Yeah. Like some days we get our Amazon packages the day in which we've ordered it. Um, I think it's so, very real way society moves forward because of children have different expectations. <laughs> very true. Very true. Well, thank you again, AJ, for taking time with us today. Um, I look forward to having you on as a guest, and I look forward to see the innovations that you guys are making. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. This has been Mahita Talks with Sherry Altergat. We'll see you guys next time.